The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time for your best legal defense with your host, Lonnie McDowell. This could be the most important hour of your entire week. Our program discusses the criminal defense and legal system and what it can mean to you. Lonnie and his guest experts will discuss cases that are groundbreaking and important to today's law and court system, from arrest to bail. We know you have questions about the law, and we're here to answer those too. Now, here's trial attorney and host, Lonnie McDowell. Oh, welcome. Uh, this is your best legal defense. And today we're going to talk about a term that's called crimmigration. That's the intersection of criminal law and immigration law. Uh, the criminal justice system has a lot of pitfalls for people uh, that are either here uh, legally but uh, non-residents um, and those who, are, of course, are here illegally. Uh, today, I have a immigration specialist, Heather Poole, with us, who's going to try to explain the differences and how to avoid some of the pitfalls uh, that are involved when uh, the criminal justice system meets the immigration system. So, uh, Heather, good morning. Good morning, Lonnie. How are you doing? I'm fabulous, thank you. Great. Uh, you know, criminal law and immigration kind of uh, came together in a big way uh, years ago uh, under a, a Supreme Court case called Perdia, where it kind of put, uh, the court said that criminal attorneys had to at least competently advise uh, people who are not citizens of the consequences of what a conviction or a plea could take uh, and have on their status. And uh, since then, uh, criminal attorneys have uh, been turning to immigration attorneys to kind of fill us in on, on the uh, different aspects of immigration since it's a very complicated uh, area of law and most criminal attorneys don't know that much about the immigration system. I'm one of them. That's why I call you know, specialists all the time uh, when I have someone uh, with a status uh, issue. So I think what I start out is um, not all um, non-citizens have the same uh, status, correct? There's different, you know, green cards, visas, and things? Oh, definitely. Uh, we always call immigration law alphabet soup because you've got really two general categories for people who you could encounter in your private practice who are uh, considered immigrants or non-citizens. Um, we prefer not to use the word um, illegal alien because we don't think a person can be illegal, but their, you know, their act can be. So that's where the term undocumented came around. And those are people who either entered the U.S. Uh, illegally. They either they were, were hidden in a car. They went through a desert undetected. They were not inspected by Customs and Border Protection. They, they just got in, right? And they've been here uh, without legal status, you know, for how many years um, or months. 
And then you can also be undocumented uh, non-citizen if you, say, came in on a temporary type of visa, like a visitor visa, which gives you a six-month window. CBP allows you in for six months. And then you just decide, ah, you know, Disneyland wasn't enough. I'm going to stay permanently. I love California. <laughs> and then you're undocumented. Um, this is the same as people who entered illegally. So you've got that group of people. And then you've got people who have somehow been able to, either through a family member, through political asylum, through work sponsorship, um, and other miscellaneous programs that have arisen throughout the years, have been able to legalize their immigration status and are now in some sort of temporary status, uh, like a non-immigrant visa holder or like people from Haiti, um, when there is a major earthquake, uh, they were able to get what's called temporary protected status. It's not permanent status, but it's temporary and it allows them to work and, and not be deported as long as they're in that status. And then you've got people, you know, looking for the Holy Grail, which is the quasi-green card, which is no longer green, but it was in the 80s, and so that's what we call it. And those are people who are lawful permanent residents. So that is usually the, the uh, major goal. You get there, you have a lot more protections than you do if you're a non-immigrant visa holder or a temporary visa holder, such as uh, that person on TPS or someone on a visitor's visa, because you can literally stay in the United States the rest of your life as a permanent resident, assuming that you watch out for certain criminal issues and that you also don't spend too much time outside of the United States. And being a permanent resident also allows you to sponsor more of your relatives for permanent residency status for them. So it has a lot of more benefits, but it does have some, some trip-ups for people who think, oh, I've reached that status and don't realize that when they commit certain crimes, you know, that status can be taken away. Not only do you get jail time, but you also get deported. Right. So what I'm always encouraging my clients who are permanent residents to do is apply for U.S. citizenship status. And that is something that, you know, if we're born in the U.S., we are automatically given status. And if we're born to a certain U.S. parent abroad, it's possible to acquire that status either uh, through acquisition or, or automatically in different procedures there. Mm-hmm. But if everyone who comes in legalizes their status and they want uh, to become a citizen later, then it's the naturalization process. And then criminal issues even come up at that stage, even if you think you're safe at the green card stage. But then after you become a resident, you can further screw up your case, um, not only eligibility to become a citizen, but also potential to be deported uh, upon traveling outside the United States. We usually see people get into trouble that way because they're literally reapplying for, for admission. But once you become a citizen, I mean, you can unfortunately commit all the crimes in the world. You can be jailed, but you cannot be deported unless um, the government believes that you received your naturalization or your citizenship through fraud and then actually right. prosecute you for that. So um, that, that's the end goal. But, but most of the people that you encounter in your practice, I'm sure, are either the undocumented or the green card who don't realize the consequences of what they just did. Right. Uh, I do have a, a lot of uh, undocumented uh, clients, but I'll tell you, I think what I see most uh, come through my office are people here either on student or visitor visas who okay. 
aren't necessarily, you know, committing major crimes, but they do get into trouble. Uh, a lot of it generally has to do with having too much fun uh, at the bar one night uh, <laughs> and either, either have a DUI or even just a, a drunken disorderly um, or, you know, get into a, a little altercation and then there are assault charges. Um, and I found that um, one of the issues that I face a, a lot of times, and maybe you can expound upon this, is I have someone here um, on, let's say, a, a student visa. So they're only allowed in the country a certain length of time, but their court case is going to put it out beyond that date. Um, how does that work? I mean, can they get uh, an extension to take care of their court case? If they stay, do they then risk other penalties for overstaying? Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, student status is a temporary non-emergency visa, so you're right, it does have an end date, but it's actually a very unique uh, kind of temporary status because when students enter, they're given something called duration of stay. It's a status that says as long as you're still in school uh, and you're going to a full-time program, um, then you remain in valid status, uh, and then you get usually depending on the length of your program, something called OPT, which is um, someone who gets uh, a work permit to work in their occupation or to find hopefully a job, and then maybe they can use that for that year period of time to, to jump up to a different type of uh, work visa. So um, students can, who violate status, who don't go to school, they can fall out of status, and they're just treated as undocumented everybody else. But it's a little trickier with, with student status because um, CIS has to literally find that violation, has to make that determination until that, and then if they don't do that, the student is still technically in status. So it's either between right. school reporting it to CIS or CIS making an independent conclusion for that. Um, so the, I think what you were alluding to was what I see a lot too, which is the, you know, the DUI situation. So let's say um, some kid has a, a DUI, and, and luckily the, the immigration um, case law, at least in the Ninth Circuit, you know, if it's if if it's an accidental, if it's something minor, it's not really going to be um, necessarily a huge issue for them. But the problem is, what happens, as you say, when let's say they're OPT, their their time they've graduated from school, they have a, a year set for OPT, and the minute you know that their OPT expires and they haven't transferred to another. Um, another program or mm -hmm. to uh, an H-1B, a temporary work visa, you know, they have a 60-day window to, to leave the United States legally. So if that, if that cannot be wrapped up in that period of time, then they risk having an outstanding warrant, right? And I've seen those cases where some, you know, a wife calls me and says, my husband's stuck in Mexico because they did his prints. We're trying to, to get him back, but they say he has an outstanding warrant but they won't let him back in to quash the warrant. And then the, the criminal judge is like, oh, no, this person fled, so I'm not going to, you know, allow him to do anything without him being here. So you're, sort of, you're stuck. So right. in that kind of situation with the student, um, we would try to buy them some time, A, see where they're at. Are they still in school or are they in their OPT stage or have they overstayed? Right? Are, they, are they now considered, you know, undocumented? Because once you're out of status, it's very hard to, nearly impossible to change into another status. It just, it's not possible. So students are a weird kind of exception to that. There may be some wiggle room within that 60-day period to change to another status. 
But we often tell students, you know, do you want to go back for your master's program? You know, is there, is there a way to, to get them um, to, to buy some time here and stay in valid immigration status? Right. So minute that determination is made that they violated their status and they start to accrue unlawful presence, these kids need to be very um, reticent of how much time they're out of status. You know, let's say that criminal proceeding is, say, three months away. Well, and and are starting to add up those days of unlawful presence, the minute that hits 180 days and the kid then leaves, you know, after 180 days, then he's not going to be able to come back to the United States for three years on any type of visa unless he gets a, a special kind of waiver approved and it's very difficult right. to get. So <clears throat> timing is really, really important. And so that, in that kind of situation, you know, we would ask um, and try to work with the uh, criminal attorney to go in there and tell the judge, these are the immigration repercussions, this is the only way immigration is allowing this person to do, you know, can you, can we do this ex party? can we speed this up, you know, he's, he's willing to pay this fine, he's willing to do this and that, but this is the immigration consequences, you're going to ruin the kid's life, you know, if, if you can't right. just speed this up. So right. it's really, really important that immigration attorneys and criminal attorneys work together in those kind of situations. Right, and that's the what judges, I judges, criminal attorneys, you know that, criminal judges, yeah. They don't have a clue about immigration consequences or how the system works. And True. we've I, had, um, I mean, there is a possibility, let's say he was already, say your kid was already in Mexico and he's got you now an outstanding warrant. It's possible for him to come back on something that's called parole, but it's really up to immigration um, to allow him to come back uh, for, on parole. And they do do it in limited circumstances in prosecution cases. But it's such a risk when the kid is already outside the U.S. whether or not CBP is going to allow them in and whether he can get the parole even granted. Right. Well, and, you know, and that's very interesting because, you know, like I said, I do have uh, a number of cases uh, with that particular scenario. But I wanted, you know, I want to get into uh, then uh, some of the things that we can do, you know, prior to them getting out of status um, and talk about some of the the pitfalls of, you know, rushing into uh, a pleading uh, and getting them to accept things and, and, you know, what the best pleas may or may not be. But uh, we're going to take a break real quick. And uh, when we come back, I want to get uh, a little bit more into uh, the different types of pleas that, that may work for someone. Okay. Right? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates. 
attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. And again, we're here with Heather Poole, an immigration uh, attorney specialist. Uh, and we're talking before the break about uh, basically student visas uh, and, you know, dealing with the criminal justice system. And Heather, I wanted to ask you, as I said, you know, I run into these cases um, on a frequent basis. And one of the issues is, is they want to get out of the country so they don't overstay, so they don't have this potential three-year ban um, and other consequences uh, of overstaying. And they're giving, get me anything. Uh, let, let, just let's plead it out. Uh, as long as I don't get jail time. And... Mm-hmm. From my understanding is just because it doesn't end in jail time doesn't necessarily mean it protects them in the future. Correct. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, immigration law is, all, is federal law, so it has different definitions that we would think would be the same thing. So this is why the, these areas get really confusing really fast. So um, it's really important to determine... When you're analyzing these cases uh, as a criminal defense attorney, A, has this person have any priors, right? Because we need to know that as as, um, immigration attorneys, determine whether this combined with a prior um, is going to trigger yet another ground of removability um, or inadmissibility. I'm sorry to interrupt. But it's, so it's just not the particular crime or the, the incident crime, but it could be combined with other priors that didn't get the person either removed or, or denied reentry and aggregate it? In certain circumstances, yeah. You can have um, more than two crimes um, can be uh, considered another ground of inadmissibility. Um, okay. And certain crimes alone are just bad on their own. Um, we can take something that would be seemingly innocent like a DUI and even though it's federal law, they're going to look at how the state interprets um, a, a state statute. So let's say you're looking at, um, you, you have someone who's facing a current conviction, but then they have 
a state conviction from, from I don't know, uh, Texas, and that okay. the law, the circuit law in Texas is going to apply on the interpretation of that Texas statute. So that may have um, a certain immigration consequence that you are not familiar with based on that, and you're not necessarily licensed in Texas to know what that uh, criminal Texas statute and the criminal law that's interpreted that statute, whether that's going to have any effect when you combine it with this other crime. So um, there, are, there are certain grounds, whether someone's being charged as being inadmissible, whether they're being charged as deportable. So this is where it gets really confusing. When you're, right. you have someone in your circumstances where you've got a kid who is here on a temporary type of visa, like a student visa, they are already in the United States, but if they're, they have a prior conviction for something, what they're going to be looking at is they're going to be knocking on the door trying to get into the United States. So they're going to be charged as inadmissible if they have a crime that, according to um, the grounds of inadmissibility and the immigration statute says you can't come in. Then you've got okay. you know, somebody who's already here in that situation, and we're looking at, well, what kind of crimes is going to get this person deported, right? So we're looking at um, not only what they've done in the past, but what they're doing now, and then what are their future goals? Does this kid want to come back um, as a green card holder? Does he have another route eventually through an employer to sponsor him um, for an H-1, but he's going to have to consular process. And so the minute when he reapplies, he's going to hit these other inadmissibility grounds when he's knocking back at the door to come back in. So it's a difficult job for criminal defense attorneys because obviously you don't want this kid to have jail time, right, for a crime. And he's willing to pay a fine. He's willing to, um, you know, plead to whatever will avoid that. But certain pleas are much more damaging within, in immigration than it is for, um, for criminal law. So, for instance, let's say, let's say it's something worse than DUI. Let's say um, it's a, a drug charge, right? And he's now okay. claiming um, no contest to a simple possession in 2014. Well, the Ninth Circuit had this great case um, called uh, the Lujan Armendariz case that was overturned in 2011, but... Prior to that, if you had one simple possession of a drug charge, it would not make you deportable. You could still, you know, it wouldn't make you inadmissible either. But now, since that's been overturned, anybody who makes, you know, a, a no contest, which is the same thing as guilty under immigration law, um, plea to avoid jail time, they're going to be inadmissible for the drug charge, even though it was only one simple possession. So there's right. some really harsh consequences. But they wouldn't have been deported on that charge, but they would be inadmissible trying to come back, correct? Right. Okay. So you have to watch out for both consequences. Um, correct. Of the, of the thing. Now, so will any type of drug charge, uh, well, let's say, okay, uh, well, let's say Colorado. Uh, so marijuana is legal there. Of course, it's still not legal under federal law. Uh, if you had some type of violation there, um, would that be interpreted under Colorado law where it's legal or would it still be interpreted under federal law where it would be illegal and then thus, you know, make you possibly inadmissible? That's a very good question. And, you know, I'm not an expert on Colorado law. They will, they will look at the law itself, but since it violates 
federal law, um, the, but they might be able to get around. They might have a similar thing to Lujan, but right now I don't think there is anything that would avoid a controlled substance charge. But again, they would never be, they would never be convicted um, in that state, so they would never have that problem to begin with. Um, they would have to have a conviction for you to be deportable unless it's considered um, an admission of a state crime. But again, there's no state crime. So I don't think that um, there, that a drug charge generally, if it's legal in that state, is going to be an issue. But that, that's whole new ground. I cannot say I'm an expert on Colorado. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Let's, let's put it into uh, to California then. Uh, so here you need a, a you know, a medical marijuana for medical purposes. Uh, you need a prescription. But if you don't have it under a certain amount, it's an infraction over, of course, it's still a misdemeanor. Um, but would that be, this, that would be the state law then? Right. They're going to look at the state law and whether it is um, a, your admitting to the elements of a state, I want to say violation, um, criminal statute. Because mm-hmm. even the word violation is not necessarily a, if it's a civil violation versus a criminal violation, it's different consequences under immigration law. So they're going to look at, the, yeah, they're going to look at the state, whether it's a crime under that state. Okay. Now, there's also um, with states. But the difficulty that- is, I've got to put this caveat out there. Sure. Before we had, you know, Lujan, Somebody who, um, say, even if they have protection under Lujan and they traveled outside the Ninth Circuit, um, let's say they went to, um, I don't know, Taiwan or something for, for a honeymoon and then came back in and they're, they're a permanent resident, CBP doesn't have to recognize, didn't have to recognize Lujan. So, you know, you're protected as long as you're living in the, in the jurisdiction you know, that had that, that, that had Lujan, which was only the Ninth Circuit. So if someone moves to Texas, they're screwed. So it, it just okay. really depends. It's case by case and where you live. So, so the law wouldn't go across the, the whole federal. It's all by, uh, by jurisdiction of the federal courts and what the rules they're recognizing. Depending on the state law in place and how that is interpreted. Correct. Okay. And that also goes to how states uh, cl- define certain uh, uh, violations, such as or enhancements, as aggravating or not. Is that correct? Like aggravated <sighs> felonies for uh, under federal oh, law versus yeah, a, that's a another state area law. that's a huge confusion, right? Um, the term aggravated felony under California law may be completely different than how the federal immigration law designates what is an aggravated felony. Okay, so they, there's actually a list within the immigration code itself that mm-hmm. determines when something is an aggravated felony, but it's not necessarily, I mean, still a case-by-case basis. You, you have to compare it, you know, against the, the um, let's say someone's convicted for a money laundering um, conviction in the, in the state. It may not translate to the federal definition under the INA of what a money, money laundering aggravated felony charge is. So you really have to look at the elements of the state charge and compare that against the definition in the code. Right. But which one would generally um, rule in this case, uh, the state law or the, or the federal as to, uh, you know, your immigration status? Well, the point is, well, if they're convicted under the federal law, because there's there's, there's a money laundering offense under federal law. There's a, right. there's a federal offense for illegal entry, right? Versus there's a state offense for money laundering. Right. So 
In that situation, it depends on what you're convicted of and whether that translates to the federal definition. They compare the elements. The court's going to compare the federal law elements against the the, uh, state law elements. And if they don't match up, then you've got a good defense that this is not an aggravated felony for immigration law. For immigration. Okay. Great. Yeah. So aggravated felonies, um, they can sound pretty harsh, uh, and there are some really severe consequences for them, um, but they can, it gets confusing because as we were talking about, they uh, apply, the aggravated felony definition applies to both violations of state and federal laws and even foreign convictions. That's something I hear a lot from my clients as well. You know, I did this 10 years ago and it was in France. It shouldn't count for U.S. law purposes. Oh, yes, it does. So, but again, they're going to look at that. Yeah, they're going to look at the French definition, you know, the, the elements in the <laughs> French crime and say, does this meet the federal definition in the INA of an aggravated felony? So now, is things that, like, is that just, you know, murder, I, rape, sexual assault, um, trafficking in a controlled substance, in right. trafficking in firearms, um, so we're talking about money laundering a little bit, um, crime of violence is a scary one. Uh, right, that's an for. aggravated felony under, under federal immigration law. But it's such a wonky term. It is so broad and general <laughs> that it could apply to a lot of potential California offenses. So that's where it becomes really important is how you plea. Um, I know there's some, there, there's some uh, motivation to take these, um, these real, re- rehabilitative and deferred adjudications, you know, that you know, if the kid completes probation, then he'll withdraw his plea right. and it'll, it'll never count, right? Right. But, Okay. That's going to count for immigration purposes. I mean, there's very, right. very few exceptions uh, for those special, you know, deferred action, deferred adjudication measures right. that will actually help an immigrant. Okay. All right. Well, that was interesting about the foreign law. I want to get in a little bit more into that, uh, but we're going to take another short break, and then we'll be right back. Okay. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322. 
888-253-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Say habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And again, I'm here with Heather Poole. Uh, Heather, I guess uh, for immigration uh, purposes, I guess Padilla v. Ken- uh, Ken- I'm sorry, Kentucky uh, is like the biggest case out there. I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So How that Padilla affects v. Uh, this whole area. Sure. Padilla v. Kentucky uh, was a Supreme Court case. Um, it involved a permanent resident, so a green card holder, who had been a resident for 40 years. He was a Vietnam War vet. He was charged with marijuana possession and trafficking for having marijuana in his, uh, in his truck. He pled guilty to marijuana trafficking um, after he was told by a defense attorney that he didn't have to worry about deportation consequences because he had been in the U.S. You know, for 40 years. So there's no way they were going to deport him. Uh, so right. the, the lower court decision decided that, well, deportation is not a... It's not a direct effect of the, of the crime, so because it's collateral, there really is no duty, but then the Supreme Court basically reversed and said, no, no, even, you know, as a criminal defense attorney, you have the responsibility to notify your client of the potential immigration effects of a particular plea or conviction, and not knowing or, or keeping silent is still is still be considered ineffective assistance of counsel. Yeah. So it puts this really big burden uh, that wasn't made clear before. I think, um, arguably, on um, people who are in your line of, of work who are trying to do both criminal law and understand right. the basics of, of immigration law. Right, and that's the thing. It's with when I mean, my clients when they come in and we're discussing a plea or, you know, consequences of conviction or, or whatever, I'm supposed to go through all of the, you know, ramifications that, you know, a plea could have, whether it's, you know, it will keep you from getting a commercial driver's license or a, you'll have to register as a sex offender or you'll have, a, you know, parole or probation or whatever, you know, the consequences are. But immigration wasn't one of those because, as you said before, Padilla, it was considered collateral, not direct. <clears throat> but Padilla kind of puts the some responsibility now, or a lot of responsibility now, on us as criminal attorneys to at least advise people who have who are not U.S. citizens of their consequences, and which is why it's very important uh, to have a good uh, immigration attorney uh, on call, <laughs> because you know it's not just not an area that 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 we do a lot of or, or you know, understand. Um, right. And things. But so what are some of the – so even though someone is, is a Vietnam vet, has been here 40 years, 
is that not even taken into consideration? Is it just very black and white? You, you have broken these particular rules and now you're deported? Or is there some type of, um, you know, uh, you know, recourse that someone would have, the immigration courts or, or hearings and things to hash that out, whether that would be taken into consideration or not. Right. So being a controlled substance trafficker, for giving an example um, in that, that scenario in Padilla, uh, that would be considered potentially an aggravated felony. And so as a result of having an aggravated felony under immigration law, that person would be ineligible for cancellation of removal, which is that kind of relief that's only available in immigration proceedings and deportation proceedings uh, to a permanent resident who has been in the U.S. for 10 years or longer. And this is, you know, you've heard through the media, you know, every now and then that, oh, you know, as long as you've been here 10 years, you're safe, you know. So Mm -hmm. he couldn't qualify for that relief despite being here for 40 years because it was considered an aggravated felony. And if he had known that it would be considered that, he wouldn't have pled to that in the first place is the argument. So, you know, obviously... It's a difficult burden on criminal defense attorneys to keep up with all the changing immigration laws. And so, as you're saying, it's really important to to have a good immigration attorney at your side. There are some things you can do, hopefully, before the plea. Um, Know that, you know, deferred adjudication uh, is is not usually something that's going to help them. And expungement is not something that's going to help them. Vacating uh, based on... um, a non-technical error or um, on good conduct, that does not help them. So post-conviction relief can do a lot for a permanent resident who is facing an aggravated felony if you can get it thrown out because the proper advisals weren't made by the court. And what I mean are um, the, the court itself has to uh, inform the immigrant as part of the proceedings in criminal court that, you know, pleading to this may have the implication um, not to say does have, but may have the implication of your removal from the United States. So, right. you know, when I refer these cases to post-conviction relief attorneys, they're constantly looking through the old trial transcripts. Was this advisal made by the judge? And then also, what was actually said in the trial transcript? So it's really important if you can get to the person when you're at the plea stage, that you know that these other, you know, sound too good to be true measures are just not going to probably work for the client. So really what's most important is, is how you plea. And, you know, which criminal statutes you can plead with that will do less damage than others. Um, And then also keep the record of conviction relatively vague. So for somebody who has, you know, potential domestic violence or um, child abuse uh, crime, they obviously don't want to admit to the elements of the crime, but they also want to keep the record of conviction. um, You want to keep the age out. You want to keep uh, the relationship to that it's a spouse or that it's someone you're living with out of the record of conviction. You know, you you can negotiate with the prosecutor to keep it as vague as possible and, you know, plea hopefully to something else because if they can't meet the elements, then it's not necessarily, the state crime is not necessarily a crime of violence under federal federal aggravated felony definition. And that's one thing that's very important is trying to negotiate with the prosecutor when you have a client that has these type of issues <clears throat> is trying to get the plea to something that, that lets the prosecutor maybe get the consequence they want, but not necessarily with the, the elements that would, you know, affect the person later. Um, right. Of course, you know, 
uh, well, it depends on the prosecutor you're dealing with and, and, you know, how they feel about, you know, the immigration situation these days. Uh, sometimes that can be even tricky because some are, are, you know, the, you know, shall I say the Donald Trump variety uh, where they think everyone should be deported. So they're not going to try to give you any type of leeway um, so that you can, you know, wiggle around uh, some of this stuff. But you, you mentioned a couple of things uh, in a few minutes ago, uh, and I wanted to, to kind of uh, get a definition of things. You, you said something about uh, vacating and deferred adjudication don't help. What, what exactly are those? And, and um, so, you know, the listeners kind of know what you were talking about. Sure. Um, deferred adjudication is any time, um, let's say, you have someone in for a simple possession. It's their, their first crime, and if it's, you know, if it's eligible in the California law for that, it's, it basically says if you serve your probation, if you pay the fine or whatever the condition is the judge has agreed to and the prosecution has agreed to, then at the end, when your probation is completed, we're going to allow you to withdraw your guilty plea or your no contest plea as if you never made it. Right. So that um, would be Prop uh, 36 or PC-1000. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So those usually are still a conviction under immigration law unless you can get the exception or Lujan if the crime happened you know, before July 2011, if it's a drug crime. Um, very, very, very limited applicability anymore of deferred adjudication, unfortunately. Okay. How about a deferred entry of judgment? Now, does that work differently? Because there you're pleading, but you're not convicted because uh, you haven't been sentenced and the judgment hasn't been pronounced. Then after 18 months or three years, whatever the, the length of time is that for whatever uh, the offense was, uh, the charges are all then dismissed. So technically, right. that's you different really because been there's convicted. no final uh, judgment that's been right. made. So. And then the court also looks at that particular statute because I know there, I think there was a statute I was looking at the other day in another state where the person um, was sentenced to probation in the interim, but nothing else. And the, the court uh, in that jurisdiction said, oh, no, no, that's still a penalty. That's still a sentence. So that still counts as a conviction. But something where you're doing pre-plea negotiations, where there's nothing, there's been no formal um, admission of guilt, uh, and the judge has not put any kind of restraint on the person or penalty, mm -hmm. then yes, then it, then it uh, could be beneficial. Okay. But with the deferred entry of judgment, what, you, what uh, generally happens is, uh, let's say it's a... Um, uh, let's say it's a simple possession charge. Um, so instead of the PC-1000 or Prop 36, where you actually enter the plea and the judgment comes down, and then they dismiss later, they let you withdraw your plea and dismiss later, with the deferred entry of judgment, they don't sentence you. It's, okay, under these terms, you're going to admit to it, and for the next 18 months, you're going to stay out of trouble. If you do that, then we will dismiss the charges. So there's never that, that sentencing portion. Now, is that what, what is critical here, or is it the admission portion that's more critical to the immigration status? It's both, unfortunately. Um, the Ninth Circuit has held um, that deferred entry of judgment in that circumstance when you have, um, it's not a conviction when the only consequence to the person was uh, suspended fine because there was mm -hmm. um, no penalty or restraint to be imposed. So did the person have to do something in between, 
right? Right. Um, and if they didn't, then it's not a conviction. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know because I, I I do look at the DEJ uh, a, a lot uh, with with some of my clients uh, as a as a uh, you know way around certain uh, immigration uh, consequences and and things. Um, the other thing that they should keep in mind is look for um, juvenile cases. You know, if someone is uh, committed the crime under the age of eighteen. It usually doesn't count for immigration purposes as a, as a criminal act um, and, and would trigger grounds of deportability or inadmissibility. What it could do is um, have serious implications on um, future applications for immigration purposes that rely on discretion. Um, okay. But it's usually not as severe. If it doesn't rely on discretion, then it's not going to be a barrier. So you need to find out when the crime was actually committed as well. Oh, yeah. You know, is there some way to, to get it? Um, out of there if it was under the age of 18. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take another short break and uh, we'll be back uh, and discuss this further. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radioshow at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. 
Now, Heather, you, you had mentioned uh, in the last segment about uh, judges uh, under Padilla or after Padilla, they now have to give a warning uh, as part of any any type of plea uh, that, uh, you know, pleading no contest or, or guilty to this may have, uh, you know, consequences for your uh, immigration status. And that's generally about the only warning they, they do give. It's a may have. They don't even go into, uh, you know, well, this will or this will. They don't even, you know, parse it out. It's kind of a general may have. Um, when it always, you know, makes me wonder, you know, what are the things that um, criminal attorneys um, should try to watch out for? What are the pitfalls? What What are, I guess, your plea advice for us? Okay. Well, generally, uh, in California, certain crimes in themselves can should trigger red flags in your head, right? Anything right. to do with domestic violence, uh, stalking, child abuse, uh, anything to do with a firearm offense, um, and anything to do with drugs. But even innocuous crimes that you would think, you know, like, like theft, um, burglary, uh, those can be also deportable offenses and make someone um, inadmissible. So um, generally, though, for aggravated felon, felony to attach to a state statute, um, in certain circumstances, you want to just stay away from any sentence that's going to give someone 365 days, which is a year, or more. So you want to plead to something that's less than that, and then you need to be careful when in exchange for that, you're pleading to, let's say, instead of one crime that has, um, you know, a, a, a maximum sentence of five years, and you're pleading to 368 days, and, you're, and now you're saying, okay, I'll do three, um, 364, and right. then, um, I'm, but in exchange, I'll also add this, this other crime on top of it. You have to be very careful about um, which crimes you take. I mean, there's certain... Um, the favorite crimes that we have are, are what we call petty offense crimes because um, a petty offense uh, crime, which is something that has, um, you know, less than a six-month sentence and is really considered a misdemeanor um, theft crime, that's not going to really have any major repercussions in, in immigration law or, you know, um, lewd conduct um, or um, as opposed to um, indecent exposure. You know, th these kinds of, of crimes, some are, are worse than others. So when you talk to a, um, the DA and see what kind of crimes they're interested in pleading down to, that's when you want to go to your, uh, your handy immigration lawyer and say, this, this is what they're offering, this is the sentence that they're giving me, you know, would this work, does this have any immigration consequences? So, um, so there's a, for instance, for the theft crimes, there's a, what we call a petty offense exception in immigration law. When, they're, when a Conviction is considered a petty offense when the maximum penalty for the crime is not more than one year. So it would be a misdemeanor in California, right? And right. the alien was not sentenced to prison in excess of, of the six-month period. So that's, we're going to allow them to, to skate on immigration law in that kind of uh, circumstance. Um, so it, it, really, it really depends, and, and you cannot be experts, unfortunately. Just know that um, usually a, a sentence... Um, that someone is, even if it's suspended, you're still on the record sentenced to 365 days, that's going to be a major problem. And that's, that's most likely going to trigger an aggravated felony definition under uh, federal immigration law. So you need to be very careful about that. 
Right. Now, is it the, let's say, uh, and I, I had calls on, on this, is, oh, well, I was convicted of this, like, five years ago, and, you know, this is what I accepted, you know, let's say it was a, a theft crime, and they did, you know, 365, and now they're coming, they're, they're coming back and they're saying, can you go back in, can you get this changed to something? Um, and sometimes you can, but does that actually have any bearing on their immigration status? I mean, will that help them out if I can go back in and get it, you know, restructured? Oh, yeah, definitely. If yeah, they've already definitely. completed the sentence. Um, well, the, the comes, let's say um, someone is deported based on that um, completed sentence, and that crime, right? And then they right. try to come back illegally after that into the country. If you can get that original crime, non-protunk, overturned or vacated, then all of the consequences that happened after that um, will not harm them. You know, they, they, they can't be charged for that, that federal bar and they won't be, the L won't be stuck with now a 20-year removal order. So if you can go back and vacate that on the merits um, or, uh, you know, a technical lack of advisal to that plea, then, yeah, that could definitely help, even though it's already, time's been served. So, so it doesn't, doesn't matter if the time has been served. That, that's always... No, it just uh, depends where that. your client is in the process with your immigration. <laughs> are, they, are they still here? Are they abroad? You know, so it, it gets complicated quickly depending on their immigration history. Right. Um, if someone, if, let's say uh, someone who is undocumented now, is picked up for, for a crime... Um, is there a process uh, where they go through court, uh, or are they just automatically kind of deported? Or, or yeah, well, it depends on where they're picked up, okay? So mm -hmm. uh, usually if it's within 100 miles of the border, they can be taken by CBP and just summarily removed from the United States, um, called okay. a process called expedited removal, uh, which the, the statute allows ICE officers, um, you know, through CBP to just, exclude them, take them out, you know, um, no judge, the five-year mm -hmm. removal order. If someone, let's say, is already in Los Angeles and they get picked up, ICE will try to get them to sign something that, that's waiving their rights to see an immigration judge. We always want to warn our clients, don't sign anything. Don't you have the them. same exactly. rights as American citizens. You have the right to remain silent. silent. Right. You don't even have to give your documents over. Don't, don't give them anything, you know. Um, and then someone will come while you're in detention because you haven't given them any proof of who you are. Someone will come from ICE and try to get that information from you. You need to get your family member to call an immigration attorney, so you don't want to admit anything to ICE then either. But right. assuming you don't do that, you don't sign your rights away, then I mean, they can hold you in detention because you are inadmissible. Um, as an arriving alien, you can eventually potentially get out on bond if you can prove that you're not a flight risk um, and that you have some sort of immigration relief possible uh, and then you get to see an immigration judge um, in what's called a, a master calendar hearing. And at that hearing, that you plead to either you admit the facts, you know, as to what's happened, you admit the allegations that ICE has made on the, what's called a notice to appear, which is the charging document, or you deny them. So the facts are about your, your means of entry, your immigration history, and any criminal convictions that may have landed you there. Right. So, so basically, you, if you're... You, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. So I was going to say, so, so the basic advice here is if, if you've been picked up uh, either by, you know, LAPD, the Sheriff's Department, or, or some other law enforcement agency, or ICE, don't say anything. 
don't sign anything, you know, use those basically Miranda rights, you have the right to remain silent, use it, and, and don't sign it away because it is much more difficult uh, for them once that, that uh, occurs. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a summarily, they can, the government can take you out. Right. You have no right to see a judge when you sign that stuff. Right. Well, Heather, I, you know, we could uh, talk about this for hours and hours, and actually I'm probably going to want you to come back and uh, go into some more detail, but uh, the show's almost over, so I wanted to thank you for, for enlightening us this week, and me also. I uh, learned some new things today, and, um, you know, uh, had a great show, and I uh, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, well, next week uh, we're going to be discussing uh, the, some of the myths and legends of uh, the CSI effect. Uh, we're going to have a DNA expert, Susanna Ryan, who's worked with the uh, LAPD Sheriff's Department and uh, also I think the San Diego Crime Lab. Uh, so that should be a very interesting uh, show. So I hope you'll uh, join us. And until next week, uh, be safe. Thank you for tuning in this week to your best legal defense. Lonnie McDowell invites you to join him along with another guest expert next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay safe. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 